Hello, hello everybody and welcome to event 48 of the 2019 Ledbury Poetry Festival. I'm Brenda Reed Brown and I'm your event manager for this event. First of all, I'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, Fastbook Printing, who have sponsored this particular event. Um, Tina Airwith, who donate, very kindly donate a week's residential course to the winner of the Ledbury Poetry Prize every year. And of course, Arts Council England, without whom the festival would not take place. The Ledbury Poetry Festival Poetry Competition has been an important first step in the career of quite a number of poets. Uh, Jacob Polly, who won the 2016 T.S. Eliot Award, started his career with a win at Ledbury in 2001. And other pre previous winners include Jonathan Edwards and Jacqueline Safra and a number of international winners now. We pride ourselves on a lasting relationship with uh, competition entrants and winners, and they're often invited back to uh, performances and residences and workshops at later festivals. And I would remind you that you can still enter this year's poetry competition. The closing date is on the 18th of July, and full details are inside the front cover of uh, the festival programme. So do get your entries in, and next year you could be up here. So we're, we're going to hear from some of the 2018 competition um, winners. But first of all, I'm going to ask our judge, Nia Davis, to come up and say a few words. Actually, I've got a clip mic. Hello. <laughs> I can be like um, a TED talk. Uh, thank you so much for this. I was... Um, so delighted to read everybody's poems and it's such a joy to be here and meet some of you and um, I'm really excited to hear these poems in my ears and in the flesh. Um, I also want to thank the, the, the festival for sending me the poems in this box. With um, The poems are all stacked like that and they were so neatly stacked that the edges of the paper were like, it was like a building in a box. And uh, I, could, I, I did this like, almost like a kind of dancing-like uh, process of reading the poems like this. And um, it was so exciting to think that in there, in that big kind of um, very square cube, um, there was some like absolute kind of treasures. Um, and they were kind of carefully excavated as if in a sort of archaeological <laughs> dig. And um, so it's, it's really nice to have you all here. And um, I'm really excited to hear some of the poems. I actually thought one of the better ways to maybe, um, well, for me, what I wanted to do, uh, rather than talk at length about every poem, was to uh, maybe just collect together some of the parts of the poems that I like the most. So I've actually got here um, a poem that I've made out of your poems, um, or a collection of all the lines and parts which I, I love the most. Um, so, because in some ways we're quite a kind of, uh, not random, maybe like people thrown together through happenstance. Um, so it's quite kind of interesting, kind of different people here. Uh, and so I've kind of condensed all of your words now into this thing. I hope, I hope it sounds okay. So, when I learned to drink again, the yawning paint pallets, the chippies stirring within, never lost at sea. Foggy laughs, dressed like mist, foggy sextant almanac, digging in the big ditch at Sansom kebabs. The future, 
where I see, see I wore all my mother's, what my mother taught me in the world's passing out of the world's sacred places, where after simulacra, unborn cousins about to spill out, a cut of salt, shall I forgive you in the iron cage, where so, where on, in a garden of unwatered soil, you want me to forgive you? A word for a disease of no imagination, chips at the oval, fitting in, the mirage of a hand grips a word after the bloody accident like sauce at the fan museum. Real city skin, pear tree, privet hedge. Take it, forget them, whereafter diathrambos, dandelions, lucid, put, 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 put. a hula hoop stuck in a tree. A word says the poem's okay. Also, I wanted to read some of that so that you can hear some of the lines a few times because um, it goes so fast. Sometimes it's good to linger on some of the things. Uh, I'm just going to say something firstly about the young people and children's categories. Um, and I'll come back again at the end and talk about some of the adults. Um, but I was really particularly impressed by, um, in the children's category, how much the poets were kind of really thinking um, in quite a different way to how I think about the world. Um, there was um, poems about ethical and philosophical questions um, in Maxwell and uh, Mugachi's poems. And in Aurora's poem, there is a really amazing kind of scaling from the small to the large and um, such bright kind of colours. Um, we really move through that and I think you're going to hear some of that now. Uh, and then in the young person's category, um, there was a, such a kind of like detailed use of language to really dig down into, in the case of Georgie, a particular character's way of thinking. Um, and in the case of um, Lauren, um, using language to kind of uncover and really kind of reclaim the body back after a trauma. And then in Annie's poem, um, we were really in this kind of very interesting space between worlds and between language in a kind of foggy, polluted city. I felt really dislocated when I read that poem and um, I was just really excited to kind of um, inhabit the places that all the poets have kind of given in their poems. So um, we're going to hear some of them now, I think, and um, Brenda will introduce them. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nia. We're very lucky to have Nia as a judge. Um, Nia's been editor of Poetry Wales since 2014, and she's worked on a number of international and collaborative projects. She's published three pamphlets and a full-length collection. Now, um, could I ask Aurora and Rugakshi to come up on the stage, please? Just take a seat for a moment. I did ask all the poets to send me a one-line introduction to themselves, so I will be reading these. First, we have Aurora Blue, who says, I'm Aurora B.E. Blue, I'm 10 years old. I wrote my poem when I was eight. I like to read and write poetry about our planet and environmental issues. Please welcome Aurora. <laughs> Tinned life, in the moonlight, 
A shadow of partridge rises out of the deep, netted, packed in a coat of salt. It is boxed and sent to bright shelves. This cold, hard post box read, standing out on the shelf tin, with its after the bloody accident like source within, is more than just dead, canned fish. It is tinned life itself. The smell of the pilchard can reminds me of my bike, its raw metallic uniqueness, which all metal has. Shake the can and you shake the life out of it, and it is like raindrops dropping into a puddle. I love that, like my bike. Unfortunately, Maxwell Heavens, who is another of our uh, very young prize winners, can't be here today, so I'm going to read his poem, which is called Six Ways to Look at a Word. A word is a picturesque language from the time of the forgotten, telling stories of its origin. A word is a vision, showing the way to the depths of your deep mind, digging out memories you now remember. A word is a small wave in a great wide sea of stories, swirling in a rhythm of happiness and sadness, disturbance and rage trying to flow. A word is a small family, housing in pens in a neighbourhood of ink, fitting in one way or another. A word is a medicine to a disease of no imagination, a bone for a lonely dog, a dog for a lonely man. A word is a fascinating building, bricks of letters, cement of conjunctions built by an architect of the word. A word says the poems, okay. Uh, thank you, that's well, we'll clap Maxwell even though he's not here. And our third um, junior prize winner is Kanka Walendra, whose poetic name is Rugakshi. She is a proud Indian citizen who has won awards for many activities and had a poem published in Scintillating Science. Please give her a warm welcome. Good afternoon, everyone. I would like to dedicate my poem, Forgiveness for Forgiveness, to my honoured Prime Minister, Mr. Narendra Modi. Now let's begin. Forgiveness for Forgiveness. Shall I forgive you because you have been doing a crime? Or shall I forgive you because you have supported a crime? Or shall I forgive you because you have witnessed a crime? Or shall I forgive you because you have reported a crime? Or shall I forgive you because you want me to forgive you? Thank you. That was wonderful. Uh, we've got some very promising poets of a very young generation. And, yeah, yeah. Um, could I ask our two young people prize winners to come up to the stage now? Um, Annie and Georgie? So, first we have Georgie Woodhead. Georgie is from Sheffield, she's 16, and she's won awards from competitions including the Foyle Young Poet of the Year and the Cuckoo Young Writers Award. 
as well as being the Young Poet in Residence for the Sheaf Poetry Festival. Georgie, would you like to give us your poem? Thank you. Um, this is uh, called Collins. Harry Collins was an artist who called himself a father. He was bad jokes and foggy laughs, heavy breaths that wheezed sometimes when words rolled in and out but never touched the air. He was things that he thought better of saying. He was thick stubble and baggy jeans like sacks, oversized white shirts, scuff paper trainers. He was toothpicks and dimples, rough skin and fidgeting, a paintbrush dabbed on a brother's nose. He was a grin that faded almost immediately, died on the lips, eyes of china vases and blobs of wobbling ink. Harry Collins was mixing colours and classical music. He was finding it hard to get up and out of bed in the morning. He was yawning, paint palette in hand like a multicoloured plastic hedgehog and canvases that were never quite right. He was sketches when there were stones to skim. He was concentrating when there was an orange hula hoop stuck in a tree and he was the opening lines of a story that stopped when he shook his head like a bad dream. Unfortunately, Lauren Edwards, uh, one of our other prize winners, can't be here, but I've asked one of our interns, Hannah, who's going to read her poem. The night you attacked me. The night you attacked me, I wore only a sewn shut smile, with screaming button eyes and skin too hot to touch. Yet my fear did not burn you, nor did my pleas. The night you attacked me, my house bore two souls. Yet yours dressed in unfamiliar clothing, yours dressed like mist, foggy and unchallenged. I dressed in layers your eyes did not see. See, I wore all my mother taught me, yet you were unfazed by my catalogue of wisdom. See, my mother could not protect me from hands that do not have ears and ears that do not hear. Stop. I asked as if I was a child in a shop asking for toys I do not need. I was ignored. The night I was attacked, your white-toothed grin told me I was a flower with dying roots, a garden rooted in unwatered soil I shall not breathe. The night I was attacked, your smile told me I was a cracked glass with a potential to hold. From a distance, I look whole. See, I'd forget if I could remember, and that's where I struggle. See, I remember the burning, and I remember the smiling. The part I can't remember is what I was before the night you attacked me, and that's where I struggle. I cannot forget what I cannot remember. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Hannah. And finally, our first prize winner, Annie Fan. Annie is studying law at university. She was a foil young poet, and her poetry appears in Ambit, Poetry London, and the Manchester Review. Annie. Essay on grief, a holiday. Somewhere far, lightning drops bigger past flooded streets, and the mirage of a hand grips all the city. Teach me to breathe underwater. Zhongzhou is the emptiness in air, and everyone is alive without gasping, effort in the flashes, never lost at sea nowadays. Gutting clouds, Asian dust, and every choking thing, still calling it summer. 
When I learned to breathe, drink again, the city blocks were endless. How to swallow so much of cars breaking into rust. Gulp down spit, cup warm tea and unborn cousins about to spill over. How much freedom to take, to be filled, night sweats, insects, a cough or breathlessness. Persistent itching of the skin all over the body afloat. Teach me awake and so to swim. Some places aren't worth flying. A month of blues. Tell me I'm dreaming this lucid sobriety at full throttle. Yes, ships give out light and drown soundless. Yes, I sleep inside the silence of every wave. The city, you were there, you inside me, not a whisper, an ebb. Oh, Jung Jo, all together, Jung Jo. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow, I'm impressed. I don't know about you. Um, I'm going to ask Nia to just say a few words now about the adult prize winners. Um, thank you. Um, so these three poems, um, which were the winners of the adult category, um, I thought anyway that um, now that I've read them again, they were all, each of them very special and different and they all used... Um, language in quite innovative um different ways but they also had a very all very like strong sense of um dislocation or moving across a space or being being somewhere but not maybe maybe not feeling quite um at home and also they seem to all um well at least two of them seem to kind of project into the future in a very strange way um but um, in Richard's poem, which is all about the bleak chippies of the, a post-apocalyptic future and um, where there is no chip shops, um, <laughs> there is this, um, you call it something sacred places. And uh, these, are, these kind of like places become sacred. And um, this is also how I thought about these poems. Um, and also um, through the hologram as well. This is like a sacred place that's kind of uh, fractured into a million different strange and interesting kind of um, fragments and details and then in the deeds um, which is Robbie Burton's poem um, we also kind of go right down into one place um, through like layers of history and um, I I really appreciated this kind of um, different kind of like perspective on on the language and on on where you are at any one time um, I had another thing to say but I was trying to remember um, yes, that was it. That, that everything, that there's an interesting feeling of being at sea and being shipwrecked and being kind of um, flowing on the different kind of the different tides and um, disorienting, but sometimes um, also very deep sense uh, in all of the poems, in from all the parts of the competition. Um, and I, I really love like being sort of shipwrecked in that in that world. So thank you. Um, looking forward to hearing from you. Um, um, uh, so I will be uh, introducing one by one. Um, our third prize winner is Robbie Burton, whose debut pamphlet, Someone Else's Street, was published by Happenstance Press in 2017. She's the Poetry Society Stands a Rep for Cross Border Poets in North East Wales. Please welcome up Robbie Burton. Thank you. 
Wow, how wonderful to be here among such splendid poets. Especially the young people are wonderful. Deeds. Oh, I ought to say that the poem refers to the big ditch, which is what locals call the Manchester Ship Canal. Deeds. Heretofore, the spinster of the second part, Triffina Tunstall, thereby assented to the vesting in herself pear tree, privet hedge, Messuagen stable with black half door. Whereas the bigging of the dig big ditch sliced Lancashire from Cheshire, and in witness thereof, the well ran dry. Whereafter, the American, Sam Thigpen, who used to pick cotton, thereby assented to a gravel driveway, free from encumbrance excepting dandelions, nettles, docks. Where so, seized of the property, Edward and Roberta grew pansies in a slopstone sink. Tyrolean finished a slate-hung wall, then, on all that piece and parcel of land, planned, whereon the lawful widow and relict is offering for sale potential. Uh, that was the make-weight poem that I threw in when I entered the, uh, the competition last year. Um, and I was... <laughs> Utterly delighted to have been placed third. Uh, about 11 years ago, after my husband died, I decided to move uh, from the house we'd lived in for 33 years, bringing up our children. And um, I thought I'd record the house, not in photographs, but uh, in poems. So that one, Deeds, began the set, and I thought I'd write a poem for each room. I got as far as this cellar. <laughs> cellar. Down here, the house's arteries are lagged in dust and flaked with white distemper. Two 40-watt bulbs throw shadows across tea chests frivolous with Ralph Reader and Lloyd Webber. Odd knitting needles and other promises puncture a brittle guardian. Perhaps later, love's old sweet song will unroll itself from the gutted pianola. Think of its notes streaming through an air brick, exchanging dark for twilight. Semi-quaver pipistrels echo locating snowdrops, primroses bluebells. Sated, they'll return to their roost, settle into, I know, a lovely garden. But the matchbox collection and carved rose soap prompt no flights of fancy. They sit in their boxes, motionless and mute, like children for adoption waiting to be picked. So I moved from uh, the 
industrial town in uh, northwest England to a small village in northeast Wales. And it's a place I was taken to on holidays to stay with um, relatives and my dad uh, from being a very small child. And the contrast between Warrington and the Kumai were so such, such enormous. Um, it imprinted it myself on my mind forever. So I've chosen to read poems about that contrast. Wire the importance of. As well as rugby league, the town thought wire was important. It stretched and twisted through four factories and in our kitchen grew hot inside a 60-watt bulb. Nothing was seen of glass-chimneyed oil lamps. No methylated spirits spiked the air. No one peeled an apple with a small penknife and let its skin drop onto a pine tabletop in a dim circle of light. There's nothing quite like an oil lamp for prompting storytelling when you're all sitting round the kitchen table. Um, so Warrington had busy roads and industry and fog, while Wales had no electricity, no indoor toilet, and just one cold water tap to service the entire household. Um, and my aunt had to do the weekly wash with the help of boiling kettles and pans on the Rayburn and placing a large conical pot on a primer stove on the floor. Lists Mephisto walls bubbled through Welsh wash days like hot tarmac in Bad Piano Street. No. That's not right. Steam and the quarry-tiled kitchen are true, but any jangly discords or whiffs of envy were mine. Damn, but my cousin could play. Passion flew out of the iron-framed piano, shot through two doorways and found a route in. For years I felt it, softening me up for love. I didn't know iron had flowed into, waiting for the day. So Warrington had the Mersey, full of chemicals and sludge, and floating on top of it, it had a grey foam from the Purcell works. And at the Kamai in Wales, um, had uh, the River Kedigog, uh, which was beautifully clear and shallow. And because of uh, industry across the other side of the valley, um, the water was a colour of Lucasade. And this poem I wrote actually after I had moved to the Kamai. Ford. The donkey followed me to the ford. I pointed at the river's grey colour 
and told him how it ran orange back in the steelworks days and trout and limestone turned rusty. I showed him how even now you could scrape a stone and still disturb red oxide. The donkey remained silent, eyeing the depth of water. I told him about the spring that used to bubble in the lane, clear and cool. Still he stood. I couldn't fathom his thoughts, so hitching up my skirt, I crossed the ford. Behind me, a clatter, then a splashing. I called out, the river is mostly recycled rain. But he continued upstream. And though he told me nothing, his absence was a cold draught, cold as the incessant water. Uh, before I read my final poem, I'd like to thank Ledbury Poetry Festival uh, for making all kinds of things possible and for putting on such a, a splendid festival year after year. And thank you too for listening. Um, my last poem uh, is in two parts and um, two voices, although both of them might be mine. Tempering. One. Girl sitting still on a hay bale, forget the pursed lips and sucked-in breaths of the town, the teaching you silence. Look at the sky above the shippen. That's what your uncle's noddy saying. His own silence born of content with his lot. How green his fields. How white his geese. How slow his pup of pipe smoke. Girl sitting still on a hay bale. Look at the backdrop of livid clouds. Watch. For how's acts of lightning shriek, if you like, or sing? Two. Someone must have said storm. Why else is it just uncle and me, side by side at the top of the field, him puffing clouds from his pipe and nodding his head now and then at a lightning fork sizzling over the shippen until there's hardly a gap between strike and thunderclap. When fat rain pockles the pond, we stroll to the house where everyone's hunkering under the stairs and I am taller, filled with lightning and thunder and silence, resistant to any. You should. Thank you. Our second prize winner is Pam Thompson, who is a poet, reviewer and creative writing tutor based in Leicester. Um, her publications include The Japan Quiz, 2009, and Show Date and Time, 2006. Pam has a PhD in creative writing, and her second collection, Strange Fashion, was published by Pindrop Press in 2017. She's a 2019 Hawthorndon Fellow, 
please welcome her up, Pam Thompson. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, the prize-winning poem, Through the Hologram, arose from several visits that I made to the museums in Greenwich. And I was researching connections between holography and poetry and working for some time with a professor of holography who'd made some holograms of um, Harrison's timepiece, the, the sea clock that, that solved the problem of longitude when lots of ships were getting wrecked uh, on rocks and of, of going off course. And I was fascinated by the whole idea of these holograms. They, they were never shown to the public in the Royal Observatory. They were kept in a secret room in the, um, the conservation workshop. So that was fascinating as well. And all the connections with Greenwich with time and space, the female figureheads in particular, were of interest. And also the fact that if you cut up a hologram, the film or the plate, into several fragments, each fragment contains the whole image. So that idea kind of influenced the form of the poem. Through the hologram. Azimuth, sun watcher, its house. She holds out her arm, stretches. Horse's tail, take it, forget them. A baton, a torch, a flame. Smell of tea on deck, wool clipper, 1883. Australian wool, fastest. New York, cargo of coal, 1916. Repaired Table Bay, Cutty Sark, 1922. Nothing is known, Lala Rook, back from Shanghai, Shanghai, wrecked. Kashmiri Princess, moored. February, unseasonal spring, cyclorama. Old Behaviours, Fan Museum, Tonight's Sky, Denim. Vega, Altair, Summer Triangle, as if it's a real city sky. He switches it on. Now it's July. Dirty work up late, sweeping, maintaining. Last of the five-pound glass of wine. Emergency woke up in ambulance. So sorry. Red-painted toes. Sextant almanac chronometer, H4, bimetal strip. Switch phone camera to panoramic. Sweep across park, the river. Visions of the universe, earth like a blue pea, Apollo 2. I hid it with my thumb, Neil Armstrong. Other side of the moon, not dark. Only sometimes. Sugar lump rocks, watching the vehicle cross Mars, forever lodestone, magnetic ore. Ships struck fellstone edges, isles of silly. Ship wrecked in a storm off a rocky coast, Peter Muller the Younger, late 17th century. Harrison's clocks. Simulacra in hidden rooms, the future. I'm going to 
read two poems related to travel. Um, the first one, Holding Pattern, is about really the unpleasant but necessary experience of going through security at airports, where sometimes I, I think they're trying to take your soul away. Holding Pattern. Chicago O'Hare, lady, go to your right, the heat. I step into line on the left. He calls me to his counter. I do everything he says. Rest four fingers on the pad, my thumb. Let his, finger, let his camera swallow one iris, then the other. Stand splayed while a laser probes my bones, my blood, my breasts and belly. While his female colleague looks on, and a beagle in a federal vest sniffs at my legs. He keeps me at his counter because he can, because I have blue eyes. Where are you going? What brings you to our country? My passport lights up in his machine. My pupils declare not guilty. My rucksack bears witness in a flat grey tray. In a separate tray, my family, even the dead ones, along with my laptop. My mother reforms from ashes to vouch for me as hers. My father comes back with a digital signature. They FaceTime my son, who shushes the voices, says, yes, I'm one of his mothers. My daughter turns away from being in love for about three minutes, confirms my date of birth, my usernames and passwords. My husband can't be contacted. I am unravelling across Illinois, Missouri. My DNA spirals through contrails, drops like a slinky. He winks, enjoy your stay. Buy a deep pan pizza, have a nice day. <laughs> I live in Leicester and the, the gateway station to London is St Pancras International which has changed a lot since I first went there as a student, to and fro as a student. Commuters, St Pancras International. If the architects were right, I should be looking up at a fake blue sky, a heritage shade of ultramarine and white lead, mixed by a woman called Helen, keeping us in 1868 but it's grey, cantilevered, as if threatening a downpour. To kill time, I curate a small exhibition from the contents of my bag. Two retractable biros, sellotape, large, half-used, a stretchy black glove, three memory sticks, a Kindle evened up with a slim volume of poems, a purse, its cargo of bank cards, some out of date. The commuters have no shadows. The man across the table doesn't even look up, swivelling his gaze between screens. And I'm aching to stand and run in any direction other than the one I'm facing, where my train is stretched along platform one like a row of terraces, whose inhabitants are trapped inside because it's snowing, it's 1868 and they haven't been built yet. See, I'm running down your street, and there's my shadow. It could be June. Please announce that more slowly. 
In fact, could you repeat it? The Narbra Road rainbow is more like spilt yellow paint dripping from a shelf in B&Q or a ladder in the same shop with cobalt blue rungs. From here, anyway. Stuck in traffic between my mum's flat, the four o'clock carer and a hospital ward where my son's waiting for cigarettes and the young Asian guy's telling me again he's got cancer, testicular cancer, the doctors injected him with it. The next minute, it's bolts of sari material let loose, like see-through stage curtains. And my friends will post photos on Facebook, because it's not every day Narba Road gets a rainbow that's not like a rainbow, but more like what's been deliberately ruined or gathered up, stashed out of the rain with all the creases smoothed out. I'm just going to read um, two short poems from this pamphlet called Show, Date and Time. Waiting for the balls. The first comes tamely like a saint. His eyes are calm. His fur is white as sanctity. He licks my palm and a faint sound of birdsong. A smell of earth rises from where his hooves have been. Gentle. Not like the second, his hooves have a scythe's curl. When he stamps and snorts, the land buckles. Olive groves burn. Tell me, I entreat, of your pain. But there's no reason in him. The third walks like a dancer. is womanly, yet his man's heart is lit up, is visible like a lit-up globe. The last is a typical bull. He dies at my feet. When it comes, it will be seismic. It will not be seismic, but subtle like scent. Windows won't break. The earth won't shift. As unobtrusive as a leaf in March, it will barely flicker. A tense green tongue. When it comes, you may hear irregular beats, like a faulty pentameter, a leaky heart. One of seven plots, you will act in it. I will act. We will catch our breaths, lean forwards in the theatre from the gods, with no optical device, no extra device to view it. You may not even hear it, as it won't be seismic, but subtle like scent, like a leaf, near your lips as you move to kiss it. And just before my final poem, I'd like to say thank you very much to Nia, to everybody at Ledbury, all the organisers, and to the audience, all of you for listening. Thank you. It's been wonderful. And for the final poem, I'm going to return to Leicester. For those who walk pavements. If not praise, something like a thought or two for archaeologists who dig up car parks searching for the bones of a king. And for the council workers sweeping dust and dead leaves with an edgy sway 
his tattooed face looking into cars, unseeing, as commuters look away. Watch those involved in text spats with boy or girlfriend. The woman who stops and holds up her phone as if it were a chalice, and she sought to quench her thirst. Those who read the pavement cracks and stones, who walk as if on air, or weighed down by something shocking left over from their dreams. Spare a thought for the wanderer, meanderer, the blinkered, the lost. Spare another thought, light a candle, for those who travel without compass or map, who leave the house with vague intentions, an idea of destination, yet happily drift off course. Thank you very much, Pam Thompson. And finally, we come to the winner of the 2018 Ledbury Poetry Competition, Richard Parker. Richard is an academic poet and printer. He's currently living in Santiago de Chile, teaching English literature. His recent work explores science fiction themes and and experimental forms, and a collection of poetry called Space Odes will be published by Boiler House Press in this November. He's also, he's obviously many multi-talented, the editor and printer of the award-winning Crater Press, publishing experimental writing through letterpress and other media, and the winner of our last year's competition. Please welcome up Richard Parker. Okay, um, yeah, thanks, Nia and, and Brenda and, and Philippa and everyone else at Ledbury. It's fantastic to be here and to, and to get the prize and all that wonderful stuff. Um, Twelve minutes. Um, first one is called All the Bleak Chippies. Um, this is dedicated to Tom Rayworth, the um, avant-garde British poet who died, I think, in January 2017, um, wrote it shortly after his, after his death. Okay, be these sacred places, all the Scottish chippies, the Kinnes Frybar, KFB in Kennington, Samson, Dithy Rambos, pickle on cabbage, Urfa kebab, Curved Teji Remsey, all the many chippies stirring within, all the grim chippies, the round-shouldered friars, the leaves stir as the wind rises. After the apocalypse, only a few chip shops left, all the awful chip shops, chips at the oval, Chips near King's Cross and in Tunbridge Wells and in Bangor. We stepped between the chippies. In the world, passing out of the world. Like tears in the rain, the edifice collapsing. The wind howls and the demons swarm. While you're there forever, compulsively jiggling the handle on the coffee machine, that frolic of youth 
cutting across the whistling wind for a second, the air brakes screaming, all of this will be gone under new management. In the dark, quiet, chippyless night, the cyborg shifts in its bed, remembers Umut 2000, the fish dolphin bar in Seven Oaks, the divine and the dismal as they were before the plasma griffins. In the star flare, how many chip shops unknown wink out? The iron cage is all around us, tightening. Uh, okay, so the second poem I'm going to read is called uh, Ode at the End of the World. Uh, this is a cricket poem. It's the Wild West, and on the ridge, the rancher robot sports among the antelope, the desalination plant whirring. It's 5 a.m., so I get up and set the rotors running, wipe down the outhouse. It's 5 a.m., 5 a.m., and I'm up tending the square, while on the western ridge, the antelope sport. I'm a rancher robot, wending its way westward, where the buffalo play and the mountain cat a tumble with the antelope. I apply the medium roller, the servos pull and the outhouse bustles on its moorings, shifting against the rising breeze. On the other horizon, the comms bank, but the radio is dead. And the light green grass, only a thin layer on the dust, um, tails flash across the prairie, an antelope turns to listen. So, at the end of time, I tended the generators, the moisture farm. At the end of time, kept the square cropped and ready. It's the Wild West, and all our life, the maintenance droids, weren't we just trying, trying finally to apologize with a concomitant intensity forever having been switched on, on the dunes, the antelope. For a gecko, the desert's not so bad, licks own eye. It's not so bad here for the albino buffalo. No, nor not so bad for the deadwood dirt pan first 11. Prairie below, the prairie sky above, baked dirt, the lone auto roller. Keep the square square, though the world has ended, though brute fascism once more walked the land and the world ended. It's the Wild West and all the antelopes sing I think we are the only person who is always there. Once again, the antelope sing, is the world of the antelope, of the prairie, and of the world? Don't know, antelope. It's the morning 
sun rising and the vaporators aren't going to fix themselves. At lunchtime, I'm the antelope, rolling, writing myself while I flick my ears for footfall, distant shootout, thunder in the noonday sun. Brothers and sisters, we're all broken robots. We're iterations imperfect as the pines of the forest, wonky copies rooted, dumbly worried, the grisly giants of the Wild West, the withered bristle cones of the clear high Rockies, the schools of carrier bags turning lazily round the ocean's great green whirlpools. As the sun nears its apex, it's the Wild West. Let's rebuild the universe. It's a thousand years since the world passed, but three bags still swirl. The old reactors in their concrete skirtings ticking, the robots fix the machines in the split apart, blown world. Where, how will you find a song of community? In the birds, in the grass rustle, a song welcoming the dawn and the international brigades march on ghost feet. At the Branch Creek, a world so tart and untouched, the wilderness cyborg senses the sublime. Rewire the machines, the multigrade sunset. Empty world, cry the squadrons of aqua drones. Up and down the banks of the unquiet ocean, further west the waves and the all-deadening grey of the spray and the droplets like veins zip off the visor. Sex in the world was an ordeal, just a little further to the homing beacon. Okay, uh, one more. This is called Work in Space, about work in space. Um, this one time, I got a job on IO, or out by Aldebaran, stacking power couplings. The second week, I arrived late all five days, and they fired me. In other parts of the galaxy, casually employed and let go, working, not working. When you have a job in space, you will still have to turn up on time. Even when you have a job in space, you will have to turn up in time, set your alarm, move around or under the cosmic city. Your work will be walking on the ceiling in Velcro shoes, ontologically aligned with capital. On past the coral shelves, the lifeguard up atop the marvelous ladder, on patrol, on planet splash. One time I had to administer the intravenous translation at the Space Commission, the tachograph, once selling hand solo jackets, 
opening the pod bay doors for eight hours a day. The wildflower neath the shepherd's foot, an unlicensed junk freighter, limes walled, indicator ticking in the gyratory. The far future alien considering human consciousness, the ghastly imposition of the working weak, Cambozola, trainees in the nebula, in the mist, the hollow booth glowing, got work scooping the slippery avocado balls, couldn't hold them and I lost it, replaced by the betentacled squid being. The tachograph will still turn. Though the days will be all different lengths, rotations, an idiot will monitor you, will line manage you. All our works pass out beyond the ends of the blocked out work week. All the jobs end, all of us working, but as yet untranslated in the hollow booth, staring back down the ultrasound, pumping gas on the outer rim. In the dark heart of the bureaucratic city, the museum of work placements. In the cold heart of the universal city, the middle manager's hall of fame, the Coruscant precariat. It will all be okay. At the heart of the imperial city, a tyromancer. My work is to move around the galaxy, understanding, to share in the knowledge of others, to become like others, to mix minds with strangers, with strange beings from across the universe, to know all and to have all know me. Beyond the stars, the bourgeois understanding of work might not apply between the cold gears of the universe, the little meaning you find in labor might melt away, become an idleness, not consumption. You might still get, get, you might still get that great internship in Terabithia, could finally get a job with a stationary cupboard, order up post-its, my job was to answer the phone and catch sudden glimpses of myself in the office door swinging open, a flash on the glass of the desk. I was a space taxi driver, but then the last people were cut out of the driver market and I'm no longer economically productive or necessary for the empire, not as a producer nor a soldier, so I am cast aside and I am killed. I am the algorithm and you will never be able to understand my machinery, my Oxbridge mancads. I would be in serious trouble in a meritocracy. Anyone reading this would be in serious trouble in a meritocracy. Almost everyone. The seven jealousies. Keston. Jacob Rees-Mogg, <laughs> the virtuous meritocrats. A space whale man, 
My peg leg, my glass eye, my cyborg protuberance, my golden eyebrow, the eternal authenticities of work and self-sacrifice to bourgeois, no, no bourgeois bohemians in space, no cricket administrators, those who would make the just and perfect unjust, moribund, in space, no zero hours, no fascist English majority. There will be no nepotists. In space, no one will listen to you read. Lyric space, the long, loud, bright ring of infinity. Tinnitus, the ion engines. Listen, trumpets below the turning bottom of the galactic city. Space torn apart, dolphins jagging along the vibrating boundary, expands blood from the fountains, speckles the creamy marble and the arching dolphin. The cosmopolitan city dispersed across the galaxy. Not one will need receipt for travel expenses. Not one flung out from the burnished city will be finally hired, the cage tightening. Know you, the great city, among the distant rings, a spangled city. Thanks. Stay there, stay there. Um, that has been a tremendously varied programme of poetry and thank you for coming to listen to it. And one last round of applause for all our poets and our judge. Thank you very much.